everyone welcome to the first episode of the uncomfortable conversations podcast we are so excited you're tuning in with us as we get uncomfortable and break down what's going on in the world how to educate yourself and just be more comfortable discussing these issues with your friends and family no one really teaches us how to have these conversations therefore we felt that this podcast was necessary in order to grow and learn together So to start, the three of us are going to introduce ourselves and just explain why this platform is important to us and what it means to us. So Corianne, we'll start with you. Hello out there. Uh, My name is Corianne. I'm a nurse practitioner that works in both an inpatient and outpatient setting. Growing up, I was never really outspoken, and the first time I can truly say that I became outspoken was in college. And I'm sure some people out there that are listening can agree, and then shortly after it became super easy. This podcast is so important to me because I truly feel that with social media, we have lost the art of communicating with each other face-to-face. It seems kind of hard to imagine how communication has been lost because social media is meant to bring people together. It's so easy to become a keyboard warrior with opinions that have easily become memes. I myself love sharing memes on Facebook and Instagram, so easily I can relate. However, slowly I found myself losing that connection and comfort with discussing important topics face-to-face. I thought to myself that if I felt this way, then I'm sure others can agree. During these last few months, I've been pondering on what I can do to help make people feel more comfortable with these situations. And I hope you guys are really excited because we have some really great topics coming up in the next few episodes. I think most of you can enjoy. We're going to explore some difficult subjects, and I'm super excited to share this time with Cami and Julia to discover our own personal growth and hope everyone out there in podcast land will enjoy as well. With that being said, I think it's time for Julia to tell you a little bit about herself. Hey everyone, I'm Julia. Welcome to our brand new podcast. We are so excited to be doing this, and we hope we can help some of you navigate through these uncomfortable conversations. I'm a registered nurse here in Pittsburgh. I've always been outspoken on issues especially human right, human rights issues, anybody who knows me knows that this is a super true statement. I've always felt the need to help, but I never quite knew how to do that. I really felt the call recently with the COVID crisis that we're facing. I had the opportunity to take a travel assignment in New Jersey, which is one of the hot spots of the crisis. I got to spend eight weeks there, and yes, it was hard, it was scary, but it was so rewarding. I don't mean that in an insensitive way but it allowed me to open up my mind and learn how to care for many different types of people from all races and walks of life. Yes, you can get that working in Pittsburgh, but New Jersey was different. While in New Jersey, everything happened with George Floyd, and I knew that this was not the time to stay silent and just wonder how I could help. I needed to take real steps and be active in how I help. I grew up in a very conservative Christian family, and my beliefs and views never lined up with them. I knew that I had to learn more and educate myself to become the outspoken person I am now. But being outspoken isn't enough right now. It's time to be active and help bring change. Racism and prejudice has always plagued this country in deplorable ways, but now it's being filmed and broadcasted for the world to see. I'm passionate about helping helping to stop this plague. Me and Cammie have always talked about starting a podcast, and now it's time to do it. We're so excited to have Corianne with us navigate these uncomfortable and trivial times. 
Again, we're so excited to be doing with this, doing this with you. I'm going to let Cammie introduce herself. Hello, I'm Cammie. I'm also a registered nurse. That's how all three of us know each other, by the way. Julia and I met the first week of nursing school, and she could never get rid of me after that. And then... <laughs> I tried. Corianne and I met um, at work also. I was actually a student while she was already a nurse, and then... I became her student nurse practitioner. <laughs> so That's the up. tables have turned. The three of us, the three of us, have remained friends because we all can't get rid of each other. I guess, huh? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the reason is, but I guess we have some common ground here with this podcast. We're stuck. Um, I live in Pittsburgh with my husband, who is also a nurse, and we have two golden retrievers. Um, I've always been a pretty vocal person with my political beliefs and my passion for basic human rights dating back to elementary school. Um, this podcast is really important to me because these conversations are so crucial. Um, I grew up in a pretty liberal household and as I grow and move through the world, I honestly feel unprepared to have these conversations because I never had to have them before. So some things you can expect from this podcast are mainly us talking about responses that we receive in our anonymous submission portal, where you can submit anything that you think of that you don't feel comfortable asking someone else or for any recommendations for you ha- that you have for us as we continue to produce content for you. Um, I know we mentioned briefly just kind of how we stand, but we also want to say this is not a place to push a political agenda. The goal here is just to inform and grow in unity together. Um, The link for our anonymous submission portal is available in the show notes of our podcast and as well as on our Instagram page. We plan on having numerous diverse guests moving forward that will help us all grow, remove unconscious bias, learn more about inequalities and injustice, and normalizing changing our opinions as we learn new information. People that are different from us need to be humanized instead of discriminated against. And our main goal is to help you become prepared for these conversations you're having with your friends, your family, and most importantly, yourself. Every episode, we will also introduce a new book that we would love for you to read with us, and we can all discuss it together. The first book we will be reading is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. If you have a book that you would like us to read, and dissect feel free to in to submit it into the portal so for the rest of today's episode we're going to be focusing on racism and the black lives matter movement since it's on everyone's mind and there's a lot to dive into one of the questions we we received from our portal was have you ever spent enough time with a person of color to experience racism firsthand i think this is a really great question For me, I grew up in Europe, and I went to an international school, so I have been around a lot of people of color from different ethnicities. Now now while I've spent that time with different people, we were in our own safe little bubble. It wasn't until I moved back to America after high school where I truly saw what racism was and how people of color were treated in this country. We see it on the news and all over social media, and I've seen it firsthand being a frontline care provider with the disparities of care between white people and people of color. It's blatantly obvious, so much so that we learn about it in school. And even when you get to a hospital setting, nothing really seems to change. And that's also something I would like to help. So let's talk to Corianne and get her take on this. Well, (laughs) since I am a person of color, I would say yes. Uh, And personally, my first experience was when I was in high school. So for those who do not know, my parents divorced. Um, I switched schools my senior year of high school, which is the worst time ever to switch schools. 
Mm. Parents, take a listen to that. It's the worst time ever. I could imagine. And I went from a very city school to a very rural school. There was a young woman there who told me that she was going to lynch me from the highest tree on her father's farm. And although this happened in high school, I definitely felt triggered in some sense with some PTSD regarding this whole entire situation. Um, And it's been a very emotional ride over these last few weeks. And frankly, I want to change that. Truly, if I can help one person and then I've left this world a much better place than the way I found it. Yeah, I agree. But before I answer that question myself, I want to ask you, was this, this was another high schooler that told you that? Yes. And how old would you say they were? Um, I mean, 17. Wow. I just feel like, I mean, I don't know. I was 17, 10 years ago, but I just feel like a 17 year old doesn't come up with that statement on their own. Right. And I truly, I didn't know anybody. Um, so it made it very difficult because I, I'm just trying to graduate. Yeah, yeah. And I was just trying to do what I had to do. And you were do. dealing with your own issues. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. now you have to deal with that so on top to, of everything else. So for someone just to say that to me, and I've had, you know, when I was like nine years old or so, I know that I told my mom that whenever she was brushing my hair that I wanted to be white. That I was just so upset that I was black. And, but why um, would that thought even cross your mind? I don't know. I don't know. Because it's not like my mother was not loving. It's not like my mother didn't know she had biracial children. Sure. Um, but it's so weird. Because my mom didn't talk like that. We didn't like really talk like that in my house. But there was something in me that just had me so upset. And I thought if I was white at nine years old, my life would be so much easier. And I just wonder what in society made you feel that way. It's been ingrained in us since we were... No matter what color of our skin, somewhere subconsciously that is ingrained in us. I think Belle feels bad for you. My golden retriever's given Corianne so much love. Um, she knows I'm upset. She knows you're upset, and it's sad. Um, but yeah, I'm just. I was just curious. I just feel through. like for a 17 year old to just muster that statement. And I statement can see up. like if I was harassing her. Sure. Um, well, not even. There's really no justification. Okay, right. You're right. Okay, so this is true. However. If I gave a reason for someone just to say that to me, that'd be different. But, I mean, I didn't even know anybody. I barely even talked to anybody in my senior year of high school. It was actually the worst But when it starts off on that foot, I don't blame you. Yeah. Yeah. Just, like, walking down the hallway, don't know nobody, and somebody just walks up to you and says that, like, that's... Such a a very distinct... Not like, and it's not like I don't like you. Very specific. It's like she like thought about it. The highest tree on her father's property. We're getting a noose and we're lynching her. That's that is disgusting. It's not funny. I can't even. Some people's kids. I laugh because I'm uncomfortable talking about it. (laughs) She's all over Aunt Corian. So for me, this question. I mean, I answer this a little bit differently. I have seen people of color be discriminated against school sports society as a whole um and then whenever i became a nurse working in the hospital with people of color i've had patients refuse to have african-american nurses i don't know if that's ever happened to you corian but i've had to do reassign patients a lot of people think i'm hawaiian so (laughs) i mean i'm still i guess a person of color but yeah i've never had a patient refuse you i've had no mm mm-mm 
Yeah, one of my best friends who we'll have on this podcast here shortly, he was one of my nursing assistants, and I've had patients blatantly refuse his care um, just because of the color of his skin. And on the other side of that, you know, working at the hospital that we all had worked at together at one point in time, we have a lot of Indian doctors there. Um, and we have some African-American physicians also. Corian, you worked there as a mm-hmm. nurse practitioner for some time. I've had patients speak out about, you know doctors of color in really vile ways after that physician or nurse practitioner saved their life. I mean, I don't know what has to happen for people to change, you know? Even in their most vulnerable times, people still find ways to be racist. Um, However, when I think about racism, like, growing up, um, like I said, yeah, I've had incidents where, um, you know, I've seen... African-Americans in my school get discriminated against. However, most of the experiences that I remember were when people of color weren't present. So I went to the same school district that Corian initially went to that you consider the Skit City School District. <laughs> However, half of that school district is in a very rural location. Well, um, in my mind, compared to where I went, it was Yeah, so city. your whole school district was like half of the old one. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, there is a good half that shared the same values and my freshman year in high school was when Barack Obama got elected for the first time and you know with all that press coverage with the election you know first African-American to run and become president a lot of people had a lot to say and hanging out with my friends who predominantly lived in that rural area I remember hearing their parents talk about Obama in just vile ways and I just never understood why that was necessary and part of me wanted to just speak out against them flip out but I was always taught to respect your elders your friends parents so it was really frustrating for me not to say anything Um, but moving from that I started to pay closer attention to how those people's children my friends treated African-Americans at school just the way that they viewed them the way that they interacted with them And I remember hearing a certain phrase over and over again. It doesn't matter what the situation was, whether it was good, bad, anything in between. It was always because they're black. Why are they getting, you know, why aren't they getting in trouble for how short her shorts are? Well, it's because she's black. Why is he starting on the football team? It's because he's black. Um, It was never a dialogue of, well, her her shorts aren't too short, that's why she's not getting in trouble, or he's one of the most talented football players we have in the school district, that's why he's starting. So I will say that I'm somebody who uses that phrase um, by saying, it's because I'm black. Um, And with that being said, um, I was having a conversation with a really good friend of mine on the way over, and she was... We were talking about systemic racism, which we'll get into a little bit, but I think we're going to have another podcast dedicated to that. Um, In regards to people not feeling that they're good enough to do better. So what I mean by that is it would be like I'd be in school, um, in college, and I would say, you know, an answer to a question and somebody would be like, oh, Corianne, like, how did you know that? Well, it's because I'm black. So I almost used it in a derogatory way instead of building myself up. But that could have been a coping mechanism. That could have been a way that you kind of, I don't know, 
you felt like you didn't fit in. So it's very possible. And um, it's so much easier to tear yourself down than it is to build yourself up. Right. That's just the way it's always been, and not how it saying works. it's right, but I, so I was somebody who used used that phrase. Um, I definitely use that phrase a lot less because I try to be mindful of what I'm saying um, because I think that we can unteach ourselves things. And Absolutely. I am not somebody who is not intelligent. I am not somebody who is um, not able to handle, you know, situations where intelligence is a question. Um, so I need to say, Corianne, the reason why you know the answer to that is because you studied it's because you know that answer because you've had experiences. It's not because I'm black. Mm -hmm. So I kind of um, relate in a way to that phrase, but at the same time, it's something I definitely need to unteach myself. Yeah. And it has to do with, I think, um, self-esteem. It's easier to rip somebody down than to say, yeah, the shorts aren't too short. You're just upset about something. Or right. you're not the starter of the football team, but he is. And Because he's talented. And you're just not as talented. Exactly. So you just want to find the one thing that sets somebody apart from somebody else by saying it's because they're black. And I think like going back to the that statement, you know, I can see some of the white boys that I went to high school with going home crying because they weren't starting on the football team. And their parents probably asked them who was starting instead. And that was probably the answer. So this all starts at home. Like, I firmly believe that if something does not interrupt the chain, then we're still going to be protesting. It's the environment that you're brought up in. It has a huge impact on the, on the way that you're raised life. and yeah. who you become. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on to the next question, um, which I thought was also a good one, since there is a lot of platforms that are being made, is how involved were you... Um, with the end of systemic racism for people of color. Um, so let me just, let me just break some things down first. Um, okay, so I am somebody, a person of color, who probably understands systemic racism, probably um, on a level that's not really um, educated. So I felt that we needed to break some things down. And I had to be corrected myself on some false notations on what I thought that it was. Um, but I think to understand this, we need to define it a little bit more, specifically the words racism and prejudice. So racism is denouncing an advantage that benefits a dominant group over another. Prejudice is an individual's biased opinion. Both words do not have to be specifically black against white, although that's what we are seeing now. Um, and I think we should acknowledge this and know that whenever we are calling somebody these terms, that they're being used, that we understand the terms that we're calling them. Um, so when you further define systemic racism, it's not so much about prejudice and race, but it's about a power differential between the majority and the minority of people. And I think that's important. So it is a differential between the majority and the minority. And that is what systemic racism it's is. It's that space in between. Yes. Yep. Yes. And um, like I said, we're going to do a podcast specifically on systemic racism. So to bring up an example, I think it'll bring into a whole another level of conversation, which is where we're not trying to go right now with this podcast at this moment. Um, I've done my best to educate myself and hopefully others previously, um, but not given a true platform to do this. So I think this podcast is really shedding light on that. 
And this is one of the reasons I was so eager whenever you guys asked me to get up here to say, hey, yeah, maybe I can shed some honest light. If not only a person of color, but somebody who's biracial. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very confused on where my role was previously in this. And, but I have talked to legislator, legislators, both um, Democrat and Republican, in the past. But I will tell you that I've never advocated wholeheartedly for. They were usually assignments that I had to go talk to somebody about. But I always did bring up people of color just to see where they stood. Um, that's so that's, I mean, that's just something that I did. I, and, and, and looking back on it now, I think it's something that um, as young people, um, when I was protesting over the weekend, as young people, we truly need to not break down the system as in the governmental system from the outside. We have to take it down from the inside. And I'm not talking about a government hall. I'm not talking about Reef of Vendetta, which is like one of my favorite movies. I'm talking about <laughs> we need to be active. We need to be active. We need to vote. We need to say this is what we want. This is the changes we want to see because that is the only way. And by putting pressure on these people, that is the only way that we are going to see change. Yeah, and I think it, that it's it's more um, focused and specific than Biden versus Trump. Because um, in the long run, I mean, how much change do those either of those two people have over our day-to-day -day lives, regardless of what they put out there on social media? Um, so I think that, like, are, you know, for those of you listening, do you know, can you name your local congressman? Can you name who represents you in the House for Pennsylvania? Here's, a, here's another one. Can you name who the people are that dictate the education that your children are getting? Probably not. I can't tell you. No. I can't tell you. So that tells me two things. Are they making a presence in the community? Probably, Probably not. not. Do you know the type of education material that your children are being given? Compared to other schools. Other schools. And what are you willing to do about it? Are you going to go and talk to these people to say, this is, I feel that my child should be educated on these certain things. Are we going to go as a group and are we going to talk to the school board and say, yeah, we're not liking what's going on. We want to see a change. Yeah. Not to bring pressure on people, but also these people are with your children eight More hours than you are. during the school year. Sure. Eight hours. Five so days a week. Whenever you're doing math or you're learning about the Constitution or what whatever, yeah, whatever we're learning about in school. Is that stuff that you feel passionate about it? Is it going to prepare them for what's going on now? I can tell you right now, I don't think that I'm prepared. And my GPA was a 4-0. Yeah. Above. When I, was I don't in think school. a lot of us are. No. I, yeah. I, I don't even know. I mean, if you've gotten paid recently and you looked at your pay stub you see how many taxes are being taken out of your paycheck no matter how much you how much you make isn't that enough for you to fight for what you want to be seen done in your community i mean we can't change that the fact that we're taxed on certain things but and, we can certainly but change we can change how we can change where exactly. that money goes you are a taxpayer you have a voice you are a member a functioning member of society um so, yeah, if that's not enough motivation for you, then I don't really know what to tell you. Yeah, we need to get down to the nitty-gritty and, you know, contact your local officials, contact your congressman, your governor, They have anybody. offices. Mine's right, my uh, Connor Lamb's office is right behind my house. I could bust in there if he's there anytime and say, dude, what okay, are you doing? Not literally bust in there because people are going <laughs> right. to take that the wrong but, way. But <laughs> no, walk in. I could gracefully, walk in peacefully. I could gracefully open the door and say, <laughs> sir, stop, or sir, thank you. Um, yeah, we need to make our voices known. Yeah. If we want to enact a change... It starts from the bottom up. We're not going to get 
Any We're results starting anywhere. at the head. We are not going to get anywhere. I empathize with the riders. I get it. I'm angry too. Yeah. I am angry too. I cr- I've been crying the last three weeks because I literally yeah. just cannot believe the amount of hate that is out there for people of color. Like, I am appalled. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it's 2020 and we're still dealing yeah. with this. Like, So, with that being said, we need to voice change. Change needs to happen because we are all responsible for this. We are not going to get anywhere rioting. I don't agree with the rioting. Yeah. And we have another question about that later we'll speak on. Just like how to explain that to your family. We'll we'll, we'll dive into that We'll divulge into that. Yeah. But I think it's best to move on to our next question. Miss Julia. This one. So the next few questions are dealing with racist family and friends. Someone submitted a question saying, my in-laws are racist. My husband who grew up in that environment did not see it for what it is at first and is now realizing the truth my in-laws are uneducated and are unable to conceptually understand the concepts of systemic racism and prejudice slash bigotry my husband and i talk behind closed doors about his parents racism and how to approach it we have a daughter and we don't want to make excuses for his parents behavior as she grows up we're trying to come up for a solution that isn't cutting his parents out of our lives but also make it known that their behavior and bigotry are not welcome in our home In the past and over other issues, such as boundaries and privacy in our marriage, my in-laws react poorly to calm and educated conversation. In their minds, my husband is, quote-unquote, the man of the house, and everything I say is ignored or questioned. (laughs) I'm not... Man of the house. I'm just... Whew. That's... All right. But they also (laughs) do not support his voice as an adult and a father with his own family. What can my family do and others do to reach the unreachable and support black lives without being hypocritical within our family unit? Or are there some hard truths that I'm unaware of and need to hear? And I would just like to clarify, I did not mean to laugh because it's not funny, but I laugh sometimes when I get uncomfortable. And that situation just, yeah, it just does make It's me a lot. Man of the house is so antiquated. Yes. Who okay, birthed so- the child? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Women. <laughs> Who won the world? Girls. Girl. I'm just kidding. Um, we're not though now we're going to be marked as feminist well well we are (laughs) okay so okay i broke down a little bit of systemic racism prejudice and um racism itself however i didn't touch on bigotry so bigotry is whenever you have an intolerance to those who hold a different opinion of oneself again i think it's important to understand the words that we call someone prior to judging them because Someone else who's in the same situation may not understand what these words mean. And that's okay. That's why I'm breaking it down. Okay. So first to this um, person, I, I commend you for you and your husband for recognizing the change that it starts at home and realizing that treating everyone fairly will help this world become a better place. And I think it's so important that we recognize things whenever people are willing to make a change yes. because it's hard to make a change nurses so of all people do not like change we do not like change we run think, from it i think it's important to understand that whenever something needs to be changed and someone's willing to do it it's important to acknowledge that so i acknowledge you i commend you um again this must have been a shock for your husband so i'm not you know it's hard for me because i didn't grow up in a in a household that was prejudiced towards a race like that so it's it's hard to do that, and I, I commend your husband once again for saying, hey, I'm going to break the cycle. Um, yeah, that's huge. That's so huge. I think where we are in southwestern Pennsylvania, I think it's a common issue 
in families. And sometimes as um, the parents are not able to see the difference between their children and the adults by respecting their opinions and values when it comes to raising children in their own families. I don't think you're alone in this. And with that, when it comes to approaching the situation, I personally feel, and you guys can chime in, that words like I or we, are said, instead of using the words your, it'll come less defensive whenever you're explaining. For example. Yeah, you're putting you it on you instead of putting it on them. Right. In a sort of way. Whenever you say to somebody you're a racist or you're a bigot, automatically some, someone becomes defensive because mm-hmm. they are offended. And yeah. it is offensive to say that to somebody, especially if they don't see it. Not that I'm condemning it by any way, but that's how... I mean, if somebody would say, hey, you're black, I'd be like, what? Even though I am black. So I don't know if that helps. <laughs> it's just the, it's the tone it's, of the voice the and the words that we use. Yeah, it's the approach. Um, <laughs> say what you mean, just don't say it mean. Yeah. So, but I think... Did you come up with that? No. Yeah. Stop. But I think <laughs> by coming together as husband and wife and saying hey, we feel uncomfortable whenever you share racist thoughts. Can you please be mindful of my child's impressionable mind and keep your opinions regarding race to yourself? The catch is... Love it. Love it. So I I know it's going to be uncomfortable, and that's what this is about. It's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. So uncomfy. I mean, I'm uncomfortable Put your sweats on and get comfortable. Yeah. (laughs) But I think it's important that you explain it, that you're firm, you hold your ground, because until you take a stand, they're not going to see their son as an adult raising a family. They're not gonna see you as a wife that your husband values your opinions. Yeah. That you are raising a family together. So until you make a stand, it's not gonna happen. And I know that you've tried, but you have to keep trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to. Until you are red in the face. Not literally from yelling, but red from frustration. Or maybe. And hopefully they're gonna come to see your ways. I think it's also important that you just can't sit down and have a conversation with them. Yeah. This is why I think you have to catch them in the act. I agree. So if somebody says, oh, come on, let's go away from, I, I don't know the situation specifically, but I'm in my mind I'm thinking McDonald's ball pit and we're in <laughs> Wilkinsburg. I don't know. Is there a McDonald's ball pit in Wilkinsburg? I don't know. I don't think so. Sure. Um, Does McDonald's have ball pits you know, Not with COVID, but. Um, <laughs> your daughter's there and the grandparents are there and they say, come on, we're going to go away and go play over here by ourselves. Call out that behavior when you see it. So that way they can't turn around and say, I didn't say that because you're calling it out when you see it. Yeah. Um, It's probably going to cause some um, tension. It's probably going to cause a lot of uncomfortableness. But you're raising your daughter. Yeah. At the end of the day, like that's the most important thing. Her brain, her mind right now is so impressionable. And if you don't nip these things in the butt, bud, what's that saying? The, nip it is in it the butt? butt? I think it is butt. Well, whatever you're nipping, you need to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just needs to happen now. And then here's the other thing. So hypothetically, let's say that it doesn't go well. You and your husband have to decide, and this is very hard to say, are these people that you want to be in your child's life? And that's hard when and it's that's a hard. family member. That's but a hard pill to swallow. Especially when it's a mother and father-in-law. It's right. not like an aunt that you can just, oh. See on a Christmas. Yeah, or maybe. What are you trying to say? <laughs> Here she comes. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you just can't. <laughs> you, it's you hard. Decide. So if you choose to have them in your life, even if they continue to do this, then when your children are old enough, you can explain to them, listen, these are old ways of thinking. 
This is not how we're going to practice. And I don't care who you hang out with. I don't care who you're married. I don't care if your child's green. I love you for you, and we love everybody. Exactly. So that's I think the that's message a good we need out there. Exactly. And I think that's a good opportunity too to call call your in-laws out in front of your kid especially if she's in an age that she doesn't really understand you know i'm not sure how old she is but you know if kids are perceptive they're so perceptive they're so much smarter than we think they are they pick up on energies you know call them out just say oh grandma and grandpa they're saying some really rude things about that person that's not how we think. That's and, not how you know, we, we think. We don't want to raise you this way. Yeah. Right. Call them out. And it doesn't have to be, ah, you're a racist. Blah, blah, blah. No. Grandma and grandpa are being very rude right now. I mean, kids are perceptive. Yeah. I mean, you go to you go to school and you see yeah, what a is, white what? kid talking bad about a black kid. There's other white kids that are like, mommy, why is this yeah. person, why is this kid so mean to this other kid? Exactly. I don't understand what he did. They're perceptive. They will know. They will figure it out. So if you are having this conversation with your in-laws, it might not go as planned. You just have to try and try and try. And call if them you're out. not getting through, I mean, worse comes to worse. You know, they're not a huge part of your life anymore. Or you have really your firm kid, boundaries. Yeah. If you raise your kid right in the way that you want, they will be able to see and acknowledge what's right in the world and i think you know as long as you stay true to who you and your husband are and you raise your kid along you know aligned with those morals and those values you're making the world a better place because your daughter's going to go off and share those and you just have to make sure that even though you can't control your in-laws you can control you know what your daughter's seeing right now and that's really that's all you can focus on that's all you can do yeah. Um, one one idea that I had, I'm not a mom by any means. I have no yes, children. Yes, you are. I have you two are a dog retrievers, mom. But. Not downplaying human children. No, not at all. But I think that, as we'll probably say a million times in this podcast if we haven't already, that this starts in the home. And I think that when I think back to me growing up, like, yeah, I had the most hippie liberal parents in the world. But I never had a black Barbie doll. I, I had think a, they had them back then. They probably didn't. I had How old are you? 26. They did. Exactly. And I know, sorry, mom and dad, I love you both. You're both amazing. But I never had a black Barbie doll. I did have an Indian, like American Indian, Native, uh, yeah, Native American, American girl doll. American sorry, girl that was doll. a lot to say. They were the first I was, ones. I American too, girl doll. I was too poor for American girl doll. <laughs> sorry, mom, I love you. Never had one. <laughs> I never. Th- I had one and I cut its hair off. I don't know what that says <laughs> about me. <laughs> no, but saying, thinking about, I mean, whoever wrote this question, buy your daughter diverse toys. Get her an oh African. Oh my god! I never even thought of that. Get her an African American Barbie. Get yes. Her, get her books about different cultures. They're kid. They're making kids books that talk about race and yeah. how to deal. With flood, racism and flood they your sh- home yeah. with diversity. That way, whenever they enter your space, you are in full control. Yeah. If they see your daughter holding a, a toy doll, whatever, that looks different from her, and they have a comment, that is your direct way to handle that situation, however you and your husband see fit. I think that's perfect. Yeah, that's a um, Yeah, I thought answer. about that today. I was like, I think that's good. Um, you know, maybe one day, hopefully one day, we get in the habit of, you know, say I have a baby shower and I want, I expect you all to bring my kid diverse toys. It's not something that we do to fix a problem. It's what we do because it's right. 
Yeah. Um, so the second part of that question is, what can my family do and others do to reach unreachable and support black lives without being hypocritical within our family units? Or are there some hard truths that I'm unaware of and need to hear? So breaking down that question, I think when you say, are there some hard truths that I'm aware, I'm assuming that you're Caucasian, but I'm not sure. And I think that you feel that supporting black lives during this movement is making you look like, oh, this is quote unquote, the white girl that's raising her voice because now she wants to be heard. And I don't want anybody to feel that way because- No, we all need to come together. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. This is a time where everybody needs to come together and to help enact change. It's not going to happen with just one group of people. It, it needs to be everybody. Black voices will not be heard without our white allies. And that is because some people will not listen to black voices. That's been Point proven. Blank. So if they can take our ideas, ideas are bulletproof. So you, if you can take an idea and share it, it becomes an infinite source. It becomes infinite, infinite with what the abilities that it has to do. Um, so in regards to you or your family supporting Black Lives Matter, not everyone is not meant to protest. Not everyone is meant to give speeches. Not everybody is meant to approach people in heroic measures out in public. Sometimes people will donate silently. Sometimes people are an ear to listen to. And sometimes expanding your own knowledge is enough to help support the Black Lives movements. I may be wrong. Maybe the Black Lives Matter people are going to come after me, and that's completely fine. But that is truly how I feel, and they have to be open to hear that. Not everybody is going to support with protests or memes. Like I said, some people donate silently, and that's okay. For instance, I'm a person of color. I went to, I've never been to a protest in my life, and I went to two in the last week. Love it. Never, ever meant to go put up a speech, but I put a speech up there two times, not even prepared. I've had probably 50 people reach out to me on Facebook saying that they were at that protest, that they loved my speech. And honestly, I can't even remember what I said because I was just speaking from the heart because I'm just so hurt. Yeah. Um, so I will tell you as a person of color, thank you for wanting to even support us because it is so important. It is so important to recognize the allies and it is so important to recognize that people are willing to stand up and say we're not standing for this anymore yeah exactly we are done with the prejudice we are done with the racism we are done with the bigotry people are people people need to have mutual respect people should not be judged based off the color of their skin Amel by the, the amount content, of melanin in your body by, it's by the literally content like, of their character yeah it makes Martin you no King, different i'm pretty sure that's what the quote is it is and we all bleed the same blood yeah i can tell you right now i've seen blood come out of every single different kind of race it all looks the same. it all, all the looks same. the same i've seen organs they all look the same so it's important to recognize that and see not, through it, literally. Yeah, see through and it. And don't feel bad because you can't go out there and protest. Some people can't. It, you, it's okay if you're a silent donor, if you're a, if you're not ever like Corian said, not everybody is meant to go out and protest. Some people are, some people aren't. You, you have to do what's right for you, but you also, in my opinion, um, should be proud of doing something, anything to help enact change and being on the right side of history. Yeah. Yeah, this it's hard. 
So the next question that we have goes along the lines with this last question. It's, what do you suggest you do about having a longtime friend that you know is racist but still have a long history with them? They've supported you, loved you, treated you, and your kids well. Mm. So this is a really good question. It does go along with the last question that we just answered. Having a friend like this is basically like another family member. So we can use these same principles and conversation points to help us navigate and steer the conversation into something productive. I've had conversations with some friends, and unfortunately, sometimes you lose those friends along the way. What I've learned that it's never okay to just overlook this type of thing, especially when it comes to uh, to race. You can disagree on politics. You can disagree on anything. But when it comes to race, I just personally believe that that's something that you can't stand apart with somebody on. Yeah. Because it's just something that is so important. And being a white person... I feel, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but. No, I got you. I think kind of bouncing off of that too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in an exactly the same situation, but I'm in one similar where one of my good friends just, it, I don't know. It's hard not, not to get into too much, but I have multiple friends who are sharing things that don't align with my views and don't really make me feel great about being friends with them even though I love them I respect them I want to be their friends it's just it becomes hard um it's very difficult to overlook when it comes so to something like race it's so hard to look at people and that you loved in a, in a new light now that this is kind of all super public um but what I would say to whoever wrote this question in is ask yourself how diverse is your friend group as a whole is it all white people i mean i'm assuming this is a caucasian also you know reach out to people that are different from you to see you know make efforts to rekindle those friendships with them and that will only allow you to look deeper within yourself and not compare the friendships with people of color to the ones who are racist and bigots but just kind of help you steer yourself in a way to ask yourself after spending so much time with this person of color, is it fair to them to continue to be friends with people who are openly disgusting? Also, you need to take the time to educate. Like, have your friend group, your friend circle, have a discussion. Try to educate yourselves. Maybe these people were raised this way, and that's not really how they think, but it's how they've been taught to think. So it's just something that's comes natural to them. So you need to have this conversation, and maybe the tables can turn. And things can you can you know you can lead the conversation in a more progressive and helpful manner. This is how I feel about this. If it is something that you feel passionate about, there's a difference between feeling passionate during a movement. There's a difference between wanting to change yourself, and there's a difference between, I guess, right and wrong. So, if you're feeling passionate about this because of this movement, there may be changes that you're reflecting on yourself and that you're willing to change. With that being said, anytime, like I said, nurses don't like change, anytime there is a change, it's going to reflect on everything. So, you may not be hanging out with the same people. And you know what? That's okay. Because growth happens. Yeah. Growth will happen and people change. I also have this weird belief that like, while there's friends, like I can honestly say about the two of you, that you'll have for life, 
I also feel like sometimes you meet people in certain phases of your life that you only need during that certain phase. Absolutely. And it's hard to accept the fact that they've served their purpose for you and it's done. And you, whoever asked this question has to really think back to the amount of time that they've been friends with this person, people, whoever. Is it life? You know, have you been friends with them since you were little? Were you friends with them just while your kids grew up? Were you friends with them after a death, after a relationship change, you know, a a certain life event? Is that certain life event over and you've gotten through it and now you're realizing these things about these people? Um, And it's really hard to, I don't want to say like dump friends, but I don't really know how else to say it. But sometimes... It's hard to move past it all. It is. It's very hard. But I think you just need to ask yourself, if you never talked to this person again, would you be sad? If you never went out to dinner with them again, if, you know, if you never went to a party with them again, would you, would your life be missing something fulfilling? And on the other hand, if you hung out with them and you subjected yourself to these racist comments, to the bigotry... Is that going to uplift you or is that going to hurt you? It's so you all have about to do what's growth. best for yourself. It's all yeah. about personal growth. Are you growing to be a different person? You can grow without people. Yeah. And who's to say, honestly, who's to say if you stop being around them for a little bit, they may come to you and say, hey, did I do something to offend you? Mm-hmm. And then and that can open up a whole can, conversation. Yeah, that can open a whole other conversation. So it's definitely important to self-reflect. What do you want out of life? Because we are only given so many years. Yeah. We so, don't even know. Yeah, we don't even know. Like, I could, you know, something bad can happen to me tomorrow. I hope not. But somebody, Or tonight. Yeah. You never know. But I think, too, you know, going, kind of bouncing off that, one thing that I've really been thinking about with all of this is I've seen a lot of people that I used to work with sharing a certain post saying, it's bad for your mental health to share things and just be quiet. I respect that. I hear that. I agree. Like, I'm not a person of color. My mental health has just been, like, shit, for lack of a better term, the last couple weeks because of what's going on. I feel guilty saying that, but those are my honest feelings. But at the same time, I look at my grandparents, who my dad's parents were both liberal. They were... My grandpa used to make me sit and watch the Democratic National Convention with him for hours. Always very accepting i'm sure they had their you know their faults that i didn't see at the time but for the most part you know they instilled these accepting of all values in me and i think about how i remember them how much i idolize them for being so different in their time and then i look at my parents and like if my husband and i ever have kids how my kids are going to remember their grandparents the same exact way so I guess what I'm getting to is, is with these certain situations, you have to ask yourself how you want to be remembered. Do you want to be remembered as somebody who sat back and was completely silent and complacent? Or do you want to be somebody who went to the protests? There's pictures of you. Like think back to things like Woodstock, how cool it is to look back at those pictures. That's what these pictures of these protests are going to be 40, 50 years gonna, from now. It's written in history It's going to be in our kids' history books, whether we like it or not. So... When your kids from kids, grandkids come home and they, you know, you see those memes. It's like when grand, your grandkid says, Grandpa, how was 2020? And they're like cracking open a bottle of alcohol. <laughs> but, but how, whenever those conversations do happen, how do you want to be, how do, are you going to be proud to tell your grandkid, hey, little Jimmy, I sat back and, and was racist. You're not going to want to say that. So live it. Live your truth. Get up. 
I mean, I don't know how else to word it, but like, go. Like, you don't want to be remembered for being complacent and for allowing this to happen. You want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. Complacency gets you nowhere. Okay. Um, okay, I'll start with our next question. Okay. And this is very... <laughs> Ooh. This is a tough This is a tough one. How do we approach those who say all lives matter? It's hard because all lives do matter. Oh my. Okay. So... I, I agree that all lives matter, but, like, right now that point is completely null and void because of what's going on in this world. All lives do matter, but the injustices that our minority friends and neighbors endure every day takes precedence. And right now we're focusing on the African-American community. Um, if all lives matter, why isn't everybody up and getting doing something about this? You would never, we would never go to a breast cancer patient crying to us as we give her pain medicine because she has breast cancer. We would never look at her and say, ma'am, all cancer matters. Could you imagine if we did that? It's embarrassing and it's demeaning. We would get fired. We would be on uh, social media. Uh, we would be on the news. We would have our license revoked. You would never say that. And now, while that's an extreme example, I just want to put it in perspective. Like, I know there's a couple other examples going around. I know you two have your favorites, but just to compare it. But, um, and another, just to kind of tie this into another submission we got that didn't make it onto our list. Um, and someone else wrote into me saying that her family has this term called the Suffering Olympics. So, as she explained that to me further, she basically said that, well, Black people are oppressed, but gay people are oppressed too. And well, so it's like who's suffering the most? Right, and like yeah, exactly. So like basically, why does the why do black people deserve, for lack of a better term, the focus right now when there's so much else going on in the world? And she's having a hard time explaining to her family the importance of Black Lives Matter because of this quote-unquote suffering Olympics and all lives matter. So those two okay. things kind of so bouncing off of that. Um, we cannot deny that political involvement is important. Can't deny it. Without trying to get, like, too political. But whenever you have politicians that are willing to listen during a crisis, or what people feel is a crisis, or what is actually going on, then that is the time to speak up um, while they're willing to listen. Because yeah. you're right, they're worrying about other things. Freaking COVID, they're... Oh, yeah. Malaria. Um, you know, who's who's embezzling what money to wear? So while we have an ear to listen, it's important to try to get things done. Because eventually the movement, I hopefully it doesn't fade, but it's probably going to fizzle out. Oh, I'm sure. There's a momentum Everything right now. Everything does. Right. But while people are willing to listen, it gives you a chance to grow. Mm -hmm. So... Whenever you say Black Lives Matter, actually, I remember whenever Black Lives Matter came out. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope maybe there's a listener out there that, or maybe a few listeners that also remember this. Does anybody remember when it was Black Lives Matter 2? And I really wish they would not have dropped, dropped the two. The two. Yeah. I really believe that it started out as Black Lives Matter 2, but I, you know, I may get corrected with some trolls, but... Um, I really think it started out as that, and I think that it would be more, maybe more accepting, more um, towards that if it said Black Lives Matter too. Not that I'm trying to change the movement. However, no, no, that no. 
It's recognizing that, yeah, during a time of crisis, we need to remind people that black lives matter too. Because when you say all lives matter, it's kind of diminishing um, the empathy. Yeah, and the validity of their of the, of the, the cries. Right, for concern. So I want to take that back to... A lot of, I had a conversation with a professor, and I hope she's listening. (laughs) Whenever she said that um, people were saying about people wanting to see color, and they were raised to not see color. And, yes. Okay, so with that being said, I understand where they say, I don't see color because they're not going to try to be judgmental. I understand that. But I think what, that's a band-aid term. Right. So I think it's, it's easy good, to say, like, if, if, if an uncomfortable conversation happens, oh, I don't see color. So it's right. kind of dismissive. Yeah. So whenever you say, I want you to see my color, I want you to see that I am a colored person. Yes. I want you to see that I am black. Yeah. I want you to see that I'm Afri- African-American or Haitian or Hawaiian. I want you to see my differences, but I also want you to respect me as a human. Sure. And I think that's where... The all lives matter, I see no color type of things going. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, I think that's true. I think kind of going off that too, I think as a white person, you know, my mom's family is mostly German. My dad's family is mostly Scottish. Woo! And, yeah, I represent the homeland. But (laughs) but that's okay. Do you know what I mean? People are like, oh, your grandpa is Scottish? What did he eat? But, like, how many times have people come to you and said, oh, you're you're African-American? What is your Christmas like? Or what are your family traditions? And it's very crazy because I actually grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not baptized. I was a practicing Jehovah's Witness. So I didn't celebrate Christmas. But I do people celebrate... even ask you those questions? They, I get asked sometimes if I celebrate Kwanzaa. And I was like, I don't even know what Kwanzaa is. But now I know. But I didn't know at the time. Sure. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I just feel like the disconnect between all of the heritages that can make up a white person versus appreciating and acknowledging people of color. There is a huge disconnect there. There is. Like, it's so cool to be Italian, but what you, you cross a little river and you're in Africa. A sea. What's in between Sicily and Africa? You know right. what I mean? Nothing. So, like, I just don't understand. There's definitely history there that... We obviously need to, I obviously need to become a little bit more educated about, but, you know, did this start overseas? Did we bring these, these ways of thinking over, obviously? You know, I mean, we have. Like History we... has proven it. We've brought all this. America was founded on immigrants and people from every walk of life. This isn't, when you use the term American, that's a blanket statement for every type of person. Everyone that escaped what they didn't yeah. like. So you're not, yeah, you're American. You might be American versus Italian, but Americans are made up of so many different flavors. Flavors, yeah. (laughs) That's a phrase that we coined. I'd like to quote back to the Statue of Liberty, because I think this is important. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore send these the homeless the tempest tossed to me i lift my lamp beside the golden door this country's greatness and true genius lies in its diversity it's a statement of values of our country 
That says Where did it they all. go? Where did they go? Out, Why is it not out the okay window. to be so diverse? Yeah, when did diversity become a bad thing? Because I think if everybody looked the same, if everybody acted the same, could it's you imagine weird. it would be so... It's like robot town. Yeah, it would it's, not be fun. It's like a dystopian society. Yes. Uh, Julia, I could speak to that too with your travel assignment you just did in New Jersey for COVID. You went to a hospital where the only white people were your unit director and yeah. the chief nursing officer of the hospital. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing. It was it was crazy to see. I mean, coming from a Pittsburgh hospital, yes, we do you know, have people of color and we have different religions. And you get that anywhere when you work in a hospital. Nursing's not just for white people. Uh, it's not just for women. So going to New Jersey really opened up my eyes because I was used to seeing nursing is a predominantly female mm-hmm. profession. But I love my male nurses. Oh, yeah. I'm married That's to you. And not just to help me pull somebody up. Yep. Shout out to Matt. Love you. <laughs> you can't do anything without Shout them. Shout out to my hubby. <laughs> Shout out to my work husband. <laughs> but I went to New Jersey and there was just so much diversity with not only the nursing everybody from every department, every type of staff that you could have in a hospital, every single patient. I had Creole-speaking patients. I had Polish-speaking patients. I had Spanish-speaking patients. You know, there was the level of diversity at the hospital that I was in was so different from anything that I was used to. And it really helped me learn and helped me grow into how to treat these different people. Because, yeah, we learned it in nursing school, but... Me and Cammie, we've been at a nursing school for, what, six years now? Yeah. So, you, of course, you always remember what you were taught in the back of your mind. But when you work in a hospital that's predominantly white females and most of your patients are white. white, it's hard to learn and remember how to take care of people from Different. a diverse yeah. background. So, it was, it was very eye-opening and it was one of the most amazing things that I have been a part of. That's wonderful. So let's jump into the next question. We love and plan to ask all of our guests moving forward. What does a racist free society look like? I love this question. I never thought of this before. I was so glad that somebody sent this And it ties right back into what I just talked about. Yeah. I want to see diversity in every aspect of life, business, entertainment, government, the income disparities in different neighborhoods, healthcare, mm. literally anything that you could think of, I want to see diversity. CEOs. We need black CEOs. We need people of color in every department of literally anything that goes on in this world. We can't begin to change something if everybody, I don't know how to term everybody this, above but us is everybody white. above us is white and predominantly male yeah we need females we need people of color we need immigrants we need everything yeah like this is not a white society i think this goes back to the quote with the statue of liberty where it says give me your people that you don't want and i'm going to make a society where we are going to thrive yeah do we thrive absolutely is america the greatest place in the world that's what they say but not... I don't think so. Not whenever I want people, it to be. I, I do. I think it can be. I, I wholeheartedly it want can, it to be, and I know time, it can be. Yeah. Do we are, Do we live free? I mean, yeah, in some aspects. But so do Canadians. So does literally half of the yeah, world. Europe, yeah. And I'm not saying America is a bad place to be. 
I'm not saying that. It could be what better. What I am saying is it definitely absolutely can 100% be better and we can do better. So if you want to be better, if you want to do better, then do it. My thing is, is I don't know, like going back to the whole complacency thing, because that's honestly one of my biggest fears in life as a person. Um, but like, why do we just stop? Like, why do, like, what makes a person like, okay, I'm done, I'm good enough. You get to a certain point and you're like, yeah, I think that's good. I think, you know, I'm just going to be a racist for the rest of my life and I'm, that's totally fine with me. I'm just going to sit There's no in my education, house. there's no growth. Yeah. And that's what like, we need Like, how are you to, okay with that? We need it to thrive and survive. Like, that's what is so different about human beings. Like, we need that. We feed on it. It's something that makes us who we are. We can't just sit stagnant. And turn into dirty water. Like, we need to keep moving. Exactly. Um, and forward. We can't move backward. We need to move forward. Forward. Um, for me, though, this question, I want to see, just like Julia said, representation for all cultures and genders. Um, reality shows, government officials, religious leaders, you name it, I want to see diversity. Any um, gender, by any the way, gender. she's saying. Yes, that's what I mean. Can we be like Jurassic Park when they open the dinosaurs? I hate <laughs> And they said, um, <laughs> you want it, we got it. Tyrannosaurus rex, velociraptors. I just want to see it all. I yeah. Mean, not literally. Lions, tigers, I mean, bears, oh my. Like, I want Noah's ev- Ark up in here. <laughs> I want every flavor and I want it everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. And, you know, whenever you have people talking, whether it's on TV, you know, in a re- uh, religious setting, like I said, in a government setting, I feel like everybody deserves to look up to somebody who reminds them of themselves. Yeah. Yep. And there you need are, that. There are a few people, I mean, more and more as the years go on, you know, more female representation, more, you know. Look at the women that we have in Congress now. Like, exactly. That would have never happened 20, 30, 40 years probably ago. Probably 10 years ago. True. Good point. Um, but, you know, I feel like as a country that's made up of more than just white men, right. We need to look at on C-SPAN or CNN or Fox, whatever you watch, and whenever you look, you listen. And the only way that that's going to happen is if that person that's speaking resonates with you. Yeah. And some old, crusty, white, demented man is never going to resonate with me. Ever. I, ever. So there needs to be more than just that. Um, I think that's a good answer. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so our next question, well, before we get into any other questions, actually, let's dive into the Black Lives Matter movement. We've already kind of touched on it, um, but we really want to talk about the Colin Kaepernick of it all, kind of how it started, why it's important. Corian, I want to know what it means to you, what it means to African Americans, and, you know, as Julie and I, as white women, kind of how we feel about it and how we plan to stand with this movement. So whoever wants to start, go for it. Okay, so um, to me, um, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, um, I believe that he first started sitting out during the national anthem. Mm -hmm. He did. um, Because he felt that as an American citizen, that that national anthem did not resonate with who he was because of the police brutality and before we dig any further in that i understand that there's a difference between good cops and bad cops but we're talking about the black lives movement and what's started fueled the fire yes so whenever he talked to a veteran he said it would be more respectful if he took a knee during the national anthem 
although a lot of people did not agree with it at the time, and even though I didn't fully understand it, um, I see it now. Um, I'm somebody who's an avid football watcher. I love the Steelers. That's my team. And um, for me to, to see that, I was very confused and very, um, I don't know, there's a lot of different emotions going on. Um, but looking back on it now, he was trying to raise awareness for police brutality against African Americans, black people, people of color. And he did it, that was peaceful protesting. Yeah. Um, so that is really what started the Black Lives Movement as far as I know. Somebody can out there correct me if I'm wrong. I think and that's what took it at least to the next level. Yeah. yeah. And for me, being a person of color, even though I am not a lawbreaker, when I get pulled over by the police and I start crying, it's not because I'm going to get a ticket. It's because I truly don't know in the next 20 minutes if I'm going to live or die. And that is something that, and I can't, you know, when I think about it, what made me fear the police was I've never been in trouble. I've never been in trouble. But it truly has been what I've been exposed to. And what's been ingrained in you. Right. And shown on so many yeah. different platforms. And Will Smith said racism has always existed. Yeah. But social media makes it, it's being filmed. It's, yeah, it's real life now. We can't run from it anymore. Yeah. It's always been there, but you could say, oh, I didn't see it. Like, I don't or see it. Or that didn't happen. But now you can because it has literally blown up on social media everybody sees it everywhere it doesn't matter what country you're from you could literally be in the country with the world's worst lack of a better term cell phone reception or low internet connections you would see it exactly and i think for the first time because everything was stopped because of covid people were at home and maybe people who typically wouldn't see that video that's a really good point yeah george floyd they were seeing it and it was a whole video, not changed. And I think for the first time, a lot of people seen what people of color have been angry about. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I think, what also has caused this movement to be so big. Because, you know, a lot of people are still laid off because of COVID. Yeah. So they have time to fight for these things. It was an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sadly, so with that, it was, you know, the opportunity dropped on our laps. Like, right. Timing. So, and I think it's important as we one of the last questions we have is about the riots that we tried to do it peaceful with Colin Kaepernick and people still didn't listen yeah so it's like how do you get your point across right what's the next step it's not up to me to answer that by any means but just you know rhetorically putting that out there for those of you that whose parents family or you yourself don't understand the protests or the you know the protest specifically it's like okay what is the logical next step then because plan a wasn't working plan, plan b plan yeah plan a b c d Through e c. f g what, what is worked. your next recommendation one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody whether it's academically professionally you know interpersonally what have you complains about something and doesn't offer a solution and you know as somebody who has been in charge at work been in charge in other businesses um, I'm the oldest sibling, so I've kind of just always been a leader. 
if you're not coming to me with a way to fix a problem, but you're gonna complain about it to me, I am less likely to hear about, I'm less likely to wanna hear what you have to say. So to those of you who are really unsure how they feel about the protests or violence isn't the answer, what do you suggest the next step is? Yeah. And we would like to hear it. Like if you have, yeah, no, you have that, let's talk about yeah, it. Put it in our yeah. anonymous portal. We want to know what the ideas are. If you're too afraid to say it or don't want to say it. Or Here's your chance. It, please let us know so we can discuss it and talk about it because we're open to it. And I think that brings us into a really good topic or a really good well, I want to touch real okay. quick about Sorry. the Kaepernick of it all. So, as Corian was saying, you know, Kaepernick, he did sit out in the beginning, and he was informed and encouraged to maybe take a knee, and I just wanted to offer, as somebody who did play sports growing up and throughout high school, when somebody's injured in a game, you take a knee. Colin Kaepernick and every person of color was injured, so he was taking a knee for them. He was honoring them, and he was trying to bring to light the seriousness of everything that was happening and he was trying to move it forward in a productive way that wasn't at the time we didn't think would be controversial but because he's a football star he's being paid to play football he shouldn't be you know speaking on these things he's a person he has rights he can use his platform however he sees fit and this was a time for him to show that this is something that's important and it's not something that we can just you know look away from so he took a knee for everybody like everybody's hurting looking away has got us to where we are today oh yeah yeah. and not to mention too if you think about it this way and you can both correct me if i'm wrong if colin kaepernick weren't um privileged in the fact that he's really wealthy due to his success in football who's to say that something like this wouldn't happen to him. Right. So he's And I mean, it the, still could. It still could. It could happen to him. I think but the I chances think it are slimmer, him. but, you know, because of his position. But he has this platform. You know, all of us look to social media as, like, the truth, you know? We look to these influencers. We're so critical of them. You know, I know that I've followed podcasts and blogs where people are saying you know certain things are resurfacing that people said have said in the past and people are unfollowing them or people are standing by them everybody that's in the public eye has a platform and when you're given that you need to use it for good and i think that's what kaepernick did and i think people owe him a ton of apologies specifically the nfl i'm no sports you know, connoisseur, but I turned the TV on the other day and Roger Goodell, who I know little enough to know he's the the commissioner for the NFL, he's on there stating that he stands with Black Lives Matter. Actions speak louder than words. And you know what, Roger, that's cute, but why did it take for somebody to die, multiple people to die, for you to, to publicly support that? And I just want to point out along the lines when Cammie said, you know, based on Kaepernick's, you know, financial standing and because he is a famous person, you know, in the sports world. And, you know, I'm sure people that don't watch sports know who he is. I read something earlier today about Dave Chappelle, a a comedian, and he is scared when he gets pulled over by the police, like, just like Corian said. But he said the police officer came up to him and was like, oh, don't worry, you're Dave Chappelle. And he was like, I shouldn't have to not be subjected to, I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly, but I shouldn't have to not be subjected to 
police, any potential of police brutality just because I'm famous. Like, just because you're famous and black doesn't... Nullify the racism that existed his peers. Yeah. So, like, it still could happen to him, but, I mean, lucky for him, he got out of that type of situation because of where he stood in society. But that that doesn't happen for everybody, so that... I don't know if I want to say a double standard. Well, that just makes his ground bigger to kneel on yeah you know it just makes the the point so much more pertinent to drive home that his brothers sisters cousins friends people he grew up with are all subjected to this and he has the opportunity to make a a stand in front of the public and that's what he chose to do and one thing that i I commend him for it me too but one thing one thing that i have a really hard time with this is when people of color stand out against anything particularly this since that's what we're talking about it's wrong and it's un-american and you know it's disrespectful but like how who's to say what's american and what's not well why is why is standing on you know your state's capital with your machine guns that you want to publicly display because you're white and you can't get a haircut and that's america and that's freedom of speech and that's liberty and that's what this country's founded on but taking a knee is not acceptable I don't understand. I just can't. I don't. If, if someone's out there that can process that for me and submit it to us in a way that I can understand, yeah. please do because I'm trying. It's hard to But I can't equate. I can't equate. Um, someone else asked us why white people feel the need to apologize for being white. Um, personally, I just think it's guilt. I think it's another one of those band aid statements. I think it's a sh- showing how uneducated somebody is that they really don't know what to say or they don't feel comfortable saying. Um, maybe they lived in a household where they couldn't speak out, you know, against whoever they lived with's beliefs regarding racism. So it's just like an I'm sorry because there's literally nothing else to say at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just easier to say, for some people, I think it's just easier to apologize because they don't know what else to say. Right. And they see, you know, it's it's hard when, you know, you want to apologize, but in actuality, you might not have done anything wrong. So you don't need to be apologizing for the past of, you know, your great, 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 great grandfather. Yeah. Like, you can only control what you do. So if you do something wrong, hell yeah, I expect you to apologize for it. If you didn't do anything, you don't need to apologize for what somebody did in the past. That's not your responsibility. That's not on you. What is on you is to apologize for what you have done and learn and grow from that. As a person in color, I think that it's not important to have white people apologizing. You, Unless you did something, like you guys said. Um, when I go back and I think about the conversations that I had with people, at least 50 people have apologized for being white. And I, to be honest, I, to, I don't know why you're apologizing for being white. Um, like, we can't help the color of our skin. Just like black people can't help the color of their skin. Or other people, like, you can't help the color of I, skin that you were born into. I, so if you didn't do anything wrong, you don't need to apologize for it. I think it. they feel bad because maybe they're reflecting on who they were before. Yeah, it might be coming from yeah. a place of guilt. And that's okay. Here's the thing. Apologize and learn from it. Yeah. It's, it's one thing to apologize, but apologies are just words. You need to show that you've moved on and, and that just, you've grown and that you're 
actively working on yourself and trying to make up for those mistakes not just a blanket i'm sorry i'm white like that doesn't do it what does that do for anybody it's a temporary band-aid but my question to you specifically corian is that say you know say julia and i are in that position to apologize to be white you know say we were put in that position to apologize to you for quote-unquote being white would you appreciate more of like a plan of action whereas I, instead, I would say, I cannot apologize for being white, but here's what I'm going to do instead. Yeah. It, when yeah, because actions speak louder than words. I, I mean, that's the, the root of it. And so my husband's friend came up to me and said that I should go up there and speak. And, like, even though I'm an outspoken person, it was it's very... It's still hard. Yeah, it's scary. I all these people out in Scottsdale. I don't know who these people are. It's scary as hell. There. And that's where you went to high school, out there. Right. Yeah. So, so, you don't know how you're scary. But what I told him was, I did tell him, I was like, do not apologize for being white. Here's what I want you to do instead. Do better. Be better. Grow. Raise your learn, kids better. Yeah. Learn to... Teach your friends. Teach your family. Right. We are what all this is about. in this together. <coughs> Excuse me. We are all humans. We are all people who can empathize with one another. Do better. That's all you have to do. If you can do better than yesterday, then do better tomorrow. Yeah. Keep progressing. That's, I mean, that's literally Change what all our answers to no, these questions are based on. Do better. Be progressive. Educate yourself. Just consistently move forward. Don't stop. You have to want no that. No matter though. how uncomfortable yeah. You it can't is. teach people to want that. Right. And some people don't want to change, and that's okay. But, you know, just know that somebody may question you yeah. one day. Because I see a lot of people standing up nowadays. A but lot if you don't want to change, I... you can't be a person that's like, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm white. And then just stay where you are. Like, that doesn't, Yeah. like I said earlier, that doesn't There's help There's so anybody. much growth. There's financial growth. There is mental growth, mental, spiritual, human growth is what also needs to be added. As a human, learn to empathize with one another. Just like they they always say, put yourself in other. Walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Like you don't understand what that person goes. You don't want to walk in your dinosaur shoes. shoes. Yeah, you can't handle that. You never know how you're going to react to a situation unless you're put into that situation. Yeah, and I look at people, you know, white people who um, I know and love, family, friends, whoever, that for 90 days had to wear a mask and stay indoors, and it was the end of the world. The end of the world to look out for the greater good with that COVID crisis is another uncomfortable conversation we might not dive into. But, you know, I like to think about this, Corian, see how you feel about this, is... You know, we quote unquote, and I don't mean this when I say this, oppressed people for 90 days due to a global pandemic and shit hit the fan. Imagine being, it's it's not, it's being uncomfortable. It's being uncomfortable and it's being forced to do something that you may not want to do. Imagine a whole lifetime of that. Yeah. Imagine a whole lifetime of not getting to go to college. Okay. You still, these kids still got to go. We're talking about graduating high school. High school even. Um, or, you know, living, getting to even make it to high school, getting the COVID test, being able to pay for the COVID test in general, being able to go to the hospital, being able to drive there. I mean, our liberties, and I use that term loosely, were taken away from us for 90 days. They're slowly coming back and people are freaking out. But it's like. It's the least it's, thing that you could have done. It's the smallest way that you could have contributed helped to the better common to good. society. Regardless like, of how 
potent, you know, dangerous this virus was. We didn't know. So we had to take and precautions. And we still don't know. Yeah, we, we still, still don't, don't know. know. But that's besides the point. I'm just laughing seeing these people, predominantly white, that are upset because they had to stay home. To be honest, I wish I could have stayed home for 90 days. Same. I mean, it's just... I spent 48 hours a week taking care of COVID patients, having a mask on my face for 12 hours at a time, you know, not being able to take water breaks, and, you know, doing the normal things that you would do in a 12-hour shift as a nurse. I want you to try to hold your urine for 12 hours. Yeah. And not eat. And not eat or Or drink. drink. And 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 breathe in your own air at the same time. I wouldn't give my job up for the world, so I don't want, you know, I love being a nurse. Oh, same. I don't want people to think that either. But people just need to put things into perspective. I mean, I would do it, I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. So our next episode will drop Wednesday, July 1st. We'll have some special guests on to dive deeper into most of these issues that we talked about today. We will also be discussing the book White Fragility, as we mentioned earlier. So please read it. Please take notes. If you don't want to read it, that's fine, too. We're still going to, you know, dissect it and read it and really get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, We hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you're looking forward to what's next for all of us. We just do want to clarify these views are all of our own. They're not our employers. They're not our everyone's. They're ours. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed this. Thank you for listening. Yeah, please follow us on uh, Instagram at Uncomfortable Convos Pod and rate our episode if you enjoyed listening. Uh, we are going to be choosing one charity per podcast to donate to. Uh, this episode's charity is going to be Black Lives Matter organization. They can be found at blacklivesmatter.com. Uh, we'll link them on our social media uh, if you want to do your part. A little bit about the charity. Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer. Black Lives Matter Foundation Incorporated is a global organization in the U.S., U.K., and Canada those whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence afflicted on black communities by, state, by the state and vigilantes. By combating and counter, encountering acts of violence, creating space for black imagination and innovation, this, and centering black joy, we are winning immediate improvements in our lives. As always, our anonymous portal is always open for submission. We also made it clear that this is a safe space for all. Our focus is, like we said, to create a safe space to tackle these uncomfortable conversations and make sticking up for what you believe in easier. We have so much in store moving forward and couldn't be more excited to continue to put this together for you. Please keep in mind that it's not always going to be about Black Lives Matter, but going with what's going on right now, it's kind of important to tackle these things because a lot of these uncomfortable conversations are coming up. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of other different uncomfortable situations, conversations. So we just can't wait to meet with you guys and have you stay tuned for next time. Also, we know this episode uh and our conversation leaned a lot towards actually all towards black lives matter and the movement um but we did since we are recording this on friday january or june 12th we just wanted to take a moment of silence for the 49 lives that were taken too early four years ago at pulse nightclub we remember you we're there for you and we'll continue to fight for you so please join us in a 49 second moment of silence to remember the ones we lost